All right, I think it's working today. Let's pray. Spirit, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you work in and through us, opening us up to the joy that you have, the freedom and the gift of grace that you so freely give. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you this day. Amen. So as I said last week, uh, we are doing a sermon series on the fruit of the spirit. So last week we talked about love, and this week we're going to talk about joy. And one of the things that I think is important to keep in the back of your mind is that um, from a I'll say from a religious or practical standpoint, we can approach things in a couple different ways, or maybe on a, on a continuum, let's say. So if you look at some of what Paul talks about earlier in chapter five in Galatians, he talks about things to avoid, right? Drunkenness, licentiousness, and, and other things that do not demonstrate the love and grace of God. And then he lists these nine things that are indicative of a person who is uh, seeking and in relationship with Jesus. And so we have this continuum of religious practice where we can, we choose where we sit on this continuum. So we can either really focus on avoiding the bad stuff, and it's an all or nothing kind of thing, or we can focus on all of the good stuff, but most of us probably fall somewhere in between. Um, and so I just wanna kind of give that reminder or thing to think about. Um, as you probably may have guessed, I lean um, to the side of focusing on the good. What does God invite us to? And then if we, if we follow that, then we don't necessarily have to be so worried about sin because if we're looking at things like from last week from an example of love and we approach things in terms of how can i be the most loving in this situation that to me um, demonstrates a beautiful heart right it, it demonstrates uh, a desire to do the right thing as opposed of going into a situation saying how can i avoid sin does that make sense? Are you getting what I'm saying? I'm getting some, some furrowed brows. Um, you with me at all? <laughs> okay, all right. So today we're gonna focus on joy and what that means um, for us as Christians and also what in one place what Jesus said about it. So how many of you would describe yourself as a joyful person? Like that's one of your top three characteristics. Anybody? <laughs> I hear some sarcastic laughter over on that side of things. <laughs> awesome. You would. Fantastic. Not very many of us would pick that as our, you know, one of our top three. Um, how many of you would say that joy has been hard to come by in your life? It's, or it's been elusive or something that's there sometimes and most not. 
Yeah, and it can be both and. As the church, I think that joy can be one of the things that sets us apart from the greater culture um, and from the world if we let it. And so as I was preparing for this sermon this morning, um, I looked up the Greek word that Paul uses in, in Galatians, and it's kara, and it is from the root word for cheerfulness. And the example that it gives is calm delight. That's really fascinating to me calm delight or gladness. It's not an overabundance of, you know, happy expression. Like there's, it doesn't have to be jumping up and down. It's an, it's an internal disposition or attitude. Uh, And it's also the same word that is used in the Luke passage. in the Greek uh, original language of scripture, I'm sorry, not Luke, John, preached from Luke last week. Um, In the John passage, uh, kara is the same word that's used when Jesus says, you know, your joy will be complete. Your grief will turn to joy. Um, And when, when Jesus says that your joy will be complete, Another word for that, depending on the translation that you use, is full. Um, I will make your joy, or your joy will be made full, something like that. And it means uh, literally to cram like a net. So I recently, you know, like six weeks ago, went to Scotland on a trip. I crammed my suitcase full um, because it was a tiny little... uh, a little carry-on, and I was going for eight days, and so I squished all kinds of stuff in there. That's what Jesus is talking about, or that's the the word that is used um, to to describe how we will experience joy. It might not be so containable. Um, We'll have to squish it in, Um, and it also can mean complete or whole, and I say this because This has a, to me, this has a really big implication for how we go about our Christian lives. Um, And so as I was thinking about this, the question that popped in my mind was, why was Jesus telling his disciples this? You know, in John 16, yes, he's getting ready to go to the cross. He's warning them again that he's going to be killed. uh, And they just saw him riding on a donkey, shouting hosannas, and all of these things. Um, Yeah, he wanted to warn them. But I think the bigger message that they didn't get until after Jesus was resurrected was that the very literal messianic expectations of the Israelites, that wasn't what God had in mind. And so what I mean by that is if you ask even any Jew today, um, most of them anyway, will say that they are waiting for a Messiah to come that will bring 
the Israelites back together and form a kingdom, a free kingdom here on this planet in the place that God gave them from Moses time back then. Like that, that's, that is their expectation of the Messiah. So you can see why so many people were looking at Jesus going, oh, he's doing signs and wonders. He's riding in on a donkey and fulfilling prophecy. He's the one that's going to overthrow Rome and bring us all together. And we're going to be able to live in peace. And Jesus was like, "Mm, we have another idea of what this could be. Um, It's one of the reasons why Jews aren't Christians. One of the main reasons that Jews aren't Christians is because of this, this very clear idea of Messiah. And for us as, as Christians, people who follow Jesus, we claim that our Messiah was crucified, died, was resurrected, ascended. Um, and, and through that selfless act by Jesus, we are set free. We are set free through love and relationship. We get to live unoppressed, live freely because of what Jesus has done. Do you see the difference between the messianic, like this is this here, and this is this over here from the difference? And this is really important because a lot of Jesus' conversations with people throughout the Gospels is about this very thing. And if we don't have the background of that, then we can miss a lot of the the meaning and and fullness of, of these really interesting conversations that Jesus has with people. And so... In this passage from John, Jesus uses the example of childbirth. I have not had children. I don't know what that's like, but many of you have had children here. And Jesus reminds his disciples that the pain is forgotten once the child is born. Because the pain, no. (laughs) Well, it depends on how bad it is. Well, let's be realistic. Jesus was a dude. He didn't know what childbirth was like. <laughs> but, you know, he's trying to give the example that the pain is worth it. The pain is worth the joy that comes from this new life. Do you hear that? Not just literal, but also figurative and spiritual. So how often... Do we let our pain, sorrow, grief, whatever you want to call it, be worth it and be worth the experience of what it can teach us? Because, and I probably could have chosen a better example from the Psalm today, but many of the Psalms, if you go back and read them, they start with lament and end with joy. Those two things go together very strongly in the Psalms. And We can experience grief and sorrow. But the thing that we're invited to, that Jesus says very clearly in this, is that 
our grief will turn to joy if we let it. There's some things about grief and sorrow that I think remind us and put this kind of, um, put the pain in perspective, I'll say. First, our external circumstances change. Someone's car alarm went off earlier today. You know, it, it happens. Um, we stub our toes. We get in fights with our spouses or friends. Like these things happen. Pain is a part of who we are, but those external circumstances change. And if we put our hope in these kind of external circumstances or outcomes, it's grounds for disappointment. So grief and sorrow actually teach us in some way what we're holding on to, what maybe false expectations we've put on a situation. Um, and so grief and sorrow can shake things loose in us in a way that living a life free from, free from sorrow or free from grief cannot give us. A lot of people, um, a lot of my clients, specifically in spiritual direction, have come to me because they feel like they're far away from God. And they think something's wrong. I've had, you know, I can count, you know, probably on the two hands that that was one of the reasons people have come to me. Nobody comes to me. I've never had this happen where someone says, I am so joyful. I want to see where else God is at work. You know, it's human nature. When something goes wrong, we seek God more. And so joy, happiness, great circumstances do not lend themselves just based on our human nature uh, for us to lean into God and God's promises. Um, grief and sorrow can also show where we have attachment or addiction or where we are you know, accidentally practicing idolatry um, in ways that limit freedom. Uh, let's see, four and a half years ago, I guess it was. Yeah, in January of 2018, um, my husband and I lost our little bunny rabbit, Shaquille. Um, had never really had a pet before. I had some hamsters, but they weren't around long enough for me to, you know, grow attached to them. We had Shaquille for, um, four and a half years, I think. Um, and we did everything right. We took her to the vet. We, you know, had her go in for surgery because she had a bowel obstruction, which rabbits get. We did everything right. And yet she still died. And as I brought my grief to my spiritual director, we looked at it and and looked at it from different perspectives in terms of what might God be telling me? What might God be inviting me to, to let go of so that I can live in more freedom? And for me in that time, it was my incorrect belief that if I do everything right, things will work out. It's not. It's not true. Probably every single one of us sitting here has an example of that. Um, and it was, that was one of the things that I learned from my grief. Um, 
And also grief can help us identify where we're holding on to bitterness and resentment and then choose to give those things up. One of, one of the things that I believe uh, pretty strongly is that we cannot experience the joy that the spirit invites us to if we have not experienced suffering or grief in some way, because we have nothing to compare it to. You know, we talk about mountain experiences and valley experiences, and, and we know how good the mountaintop experiences are because we've experienced the valleys, because we've walked through the valley of the shadow of death or darkness, and we know that Jesus is still with us. With us. Grief helps us know joy, which is what Jesus is talking about in this passage. You're going to have grief. I'm going to be killed. He doesn't explicitly say that, but he's alluding to that. You know, I'm going to go away and then you're going to see me again. And this is how it's going to be. And I think if we lean into God during times of sadness and disappointment, we are given the, the opportunity to deepen our trust in God. And when our trust deepens, we live in more freedom and we can have more joy because joy is an internal thing. Joy is based on our relationship with God and not the external things that might make us uh, happy or sad. Joy is a different thing. It's calm delight. Uh, I often describe it in the way that it feels in me as a contentment. Like or I'm, I am satisfied and delighted often for no reason. I'm like, oh, I get to be in relationship with God and God loves me. This is awesome. Um, and the thing about that is that this is present. Joy can be present regardless of our external circumstances. And to me, that, that is how, as I said at the beginning, as the church, joy is one of the things that can set us apart from the world. If we live with joy, if we live with a calm delight and want to share that with others, we are going to look very different from the world that we live in, right? Like it, it just is. And, and I think in all of this, as, as Paul starts out this, this paragraph with for freedom, Christ has set us free in, in uh, chapter five, verse one. This is how we can do it. We can lean into love. We can lean into joy. And wouldn't it be an amazing thing to say with absolute 100% certainty, I know the joy that comes from trusting the Lord. And to live in that, the world would be a different place. Our lives would in a lot of ways be different if we could live in that way. And so as we did last week, I will ask you to turn your bulletin to the back and we will pray ourselves out of this sermon with this prayer from John Stott. Heavenly Father, I pray that this day I may live in your presence and please you more and more. Lord Jesus, I pray that this day I may take up my cross and follow you. Holy Spirit, I pray this day you will fill me with yourself and cause your fruit to ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, 
patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Amen. <laughs>